Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Don't Miss This Podcast, a Come Follow Me study with Emily Bell Freeman and David Butler. We fill this show up with all the things we think you don't want to miss in the scriptures every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi, y'all. I'm Dave Butler. I'm Grace Freeman. Welcome to your Don't Miss This class. It's your, it's your, it's our final one. End of year. New Testament. It's like our goodbyes. Get your yearbooks out. Should we all sign? <laughs> Let's sign each end, the last page of everybody's Hi. book. <laughs> this is our last one, y'all. Uh, Merry Christmas. This is coming out like Christmas timey. And then the very first episode of the Book of Mormon, I think, Releases on YouTube on Christmas Day. Oh, so. <laughs> like, hey, no presents yet. Sorry. Yes. So, um, yeah, you'll get to that when you get to it. It's going to be great. But we are excited for the Book of Mormon year to start up, and we're excited to go to these last chapters of the Book of Mormon. I mean, of the Book of Revelation and the New Testament. I think it just ends incredibly. It ends really hopefully. It ends with just like something to just look forward to. I I just love it. I love. The ending of the, I like the whole book of Revelation. Um, I particularly love the end of it. I had this experience in church that made it sound like it was going to be this really big deal. When I, I don't know, for some reason, calling it an experience to that. But somebody played uh, the piano and they played Our Savior's Love, but nobody sang. They only just played, you know, on the song, instrumental or whatever. And it was interesting because I was saying the words as it was going. And, and the song invoked like a feeling and an emotion in me because I knew what it stood for. I knew what those notes, the lyrics that they stood for. And I thought to myself, That's, that reminds me of the book of Revelation because, you know, somebody, when there's some images and some wording that the, to those who knew, to those who knew the Old Testament really well, to those who knew the stories that were being talked about, it, it invoked an emotion in them. And it's sort of like... Um, it does something for you that symbolic, the music of symbolism does something to you if you give it a chance. But everyone might be really tired and just excited for the Book of Mormon too at the same time. So <laughs> one, yeah, one more day of the Book of Revelation and then we'll jump into the Book of Mormon. And when you're getting ready to jump into the Book of Mormon, you might want to go get this now and be ready. Our Mercies of the Lord timeline, our Tender Mercies timeline for the Book of Mormon. So if you haven't seen this, go back two videos because the Christmas one, we didn't talk about it, but this is a free print that you can go do. This is a um, 24 by 36 print. And every week of the year, we are going to also include it in the packet to print are these little pieces that are, it's the storylines, things that are happening through the story of the Book of Mormon. So when it's finished, you'll kind of have the story of the Book of Mormon laid out. But in particular, it's what God did throughout the story. So it's a timeline of the workings of God through the Book of Mormon. So, like this, one of the first ones is going to be when he warned Lehi that that's something that God does. It's one of his tender mercies. So that's what we're tracking through the Book of Mormon, and every week we'll have one of these. So it's in the newsletter, or if you don't have the newsletter, go sign up for the newsletter, newsletter, don'tmissthisstudy.com, and then it will come in your first newsletter, and you will be able to download it and print it if you live locally. Pioneer Party has the files and some of these already printed out ready. I mounted this on foam board, which you can do at Michael's or Hobby Lobby or someplace like that. But anybody can print this big engineer print. And then these others are just eight by 11 papers that you want to do probably on a cardstock and in color. 
Some people might want to do it. Because the pictures are beautiful. They're really, really pretty. They're yeah. these watercolored pictures, and it's going to be really cool to track that throughout the year. This is going to be really, really rad. So you might want to get that. So you're all set up ready for January. And then everything else that we have that you know of, the tippins and the posters, we're on our last poster here, but our posters also track what God is doing through the Book of Mormon. So that could be a theme hanging in your house. The read it, live it calendar, the journals, they are all, all of those are at Deseret Book. This in your email, this is for free, a download. And then um, the other things you find at Deseret Book. So you can just be all ready to go when we jump in. Sad and happy. Yeah. All right. Let's get into the end of the book of Revelation. Today, it's 15 through 22. That's the chapters. We're going to focus on some of the later chapters that are in here, but let's say a thing or two about 15 and 16 and 17. One comment that people will make about the book of Revelation is how scary it is. And there is a lot of imagery in there that's overwhelming, and we're going to talk about that. But don't forget, I wish we would count up how much of that book is hopeful and how much of that book mentions victory. Throughout the entire thing, they're stopping. John is stopping and he's saying, but remember, God has overcome all of this. There is a victory in the end all of this, of all of this. Stay true, stay faithful. He will strengthen you. So I guess it's a choice of what it is that we're focusing on. Are we focusing on the dragon? Are we focusing on the beast? Are we focusing on the harlot? Or are we focusing on the lamb and the great victory and the angels and the power that comes by the, to those who are sealed? I think it's important to make sure that... I just think that book is seen as a scary book, but there's just as much, if not more, hope in this book and imagery of victory than there is of of the chaos that, that you see. Which I didn't even think of, but that is such a good lesson when you want to think about living in the last days too, is just pausing and being like, okay, well, what are you focusing on? Right. Because there's going to be a lot of both. So what do you want to choose to think about today? Right, right. You know? I love one of President Nelson's comments where he talked about the temple. Or, ooh, was it President Nelson? It could have been Elder Anderson. One of the two. It's 50-50. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, talked about the temple. I think both did, maybe. Let's go with that one. As a compensatory blessing, that's what he called it. Compensation for living in the time that we are living in. We look around the world and people are quick to say, wow, look how wicked it is. Look how chaotic it is. Well... God will match and overwhelm the chaos with goodness and beauty and grace. That is his style. That is his MO. He's a God of abundance and we can expect that and we can look at it. I think one of the tactics of the adversary that you see displayed in chapters 16 and 17 is one of overwhelm. Try to overwhelm you with the presence and the temptation of evil, but we can just as easily be overwhelmed and filled rather with the goodness of God. So for example, chapter 15, a couple verses that I just want to look at here. Verse two, uh, 16 is, an, is, a, is a, well, bef so before you get to 16, 16 is a repeat of Revelation eight, the plagues poured out upon the earth, the judgments of, of God, which we'll get to. But before that happens, you get chapter 15, verse two, and he sees this line in verse two, 
I saw a sea of glass mingled with fire and them that had gotten the victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name standing on the sea of glass having the harps of God. We just came off of in, being introduced to this beast and he had a mark in the 666 and we jump into 15 and what he sees is a group of people who had gotten the victory. That's a phrase. I want to carry with me throughout the week is in verse two, um, just that phrase, the victory. And then in verse three, they sing the song of Moses. You might want to put in your scriptures, Exodus 15. They sing a song right after they cross through the Red Sea. So this is a song of praise to the deliverer and a song of thanksgiving for deliverance. And that's the song that they're hearing. There's some of the words in verse three. Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Almighty means all-encompassing, all-powerful. Whatever it is that the devil feels like he can, whatever pitch he can throw, God can knock it out of the park. And so, well, and that he brought up Moses in the sense that chapter 16 is going to be about plagues, which would sound familiar if you're familiar with the Old Testament. It would remind you about Moses. And if you remember Moses' story, it's actually a story of deliverance. Mm -hmm. That's the whole purpose. Like when you, you can't even ignore that part. The whole theme is deliverance. And I love that before he even gets into the plagues, he's like, listen, when you view this story, don't you forget to have like the lens of deliverance. Right. And particularly too, sometimes, so if we go into 16, again, we talked about this a couple lessons ago. We connected it with Revelation 8 with the trumpets and then these are the bulls. It's either a repeat or it's emphasizing that there will be a complete and full destruction of evil in the world. And that's what this is. And the plagues, you want to just think about for a second, we, and we may have mentioned this, what was the purpose of the plagues? Anytime we see, we talk about the judgments of God and we're quick to think, oh, he's a man, he's vengeful, he's angry, he's, he's like taking out his wrath. And, and I grew up with an image of God that was one of, and I, nobody's fault, but one where he was going to come and just burn the earth. And one day I said to myself, David, what kind of God do you believe in? Like he's not the barbecue king. He's not coming to like torch the planet, you know, but anybody who's experienced any kind of injustice, anybody who's ever experienced any kind of evil or harm done to them, you, you, of course you would say, please rid the world of evil. But God was not against Pharaoh in Moses's time. He was against the evil in his heart. He wanted to root it out. And, he, and one of his methods and purposes was he first started with Moses and then he went to the plagues. His intention was as much to save Pharaoh as it was to save Moses. Deliverance was supposed to be the end story for all of them, Egyptians and Israelites. And in chapter 16, his intention and hope is to save the world. His purpose of judgments is restoration. It is not to, not to tear down, not to condemn. And you like actually read evidence of that in chapter 16. If you go, it's the fifth plague, verse 11. At the end, it said, and blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains, their sores. And this is the part that's so fascinating to me. Yeah, it explains the plague, but right after it says, and repented not of their deeds. As if he wants to remind you, oh wait, actually, this wasn't just because God was like, 
going crazy and wild and he was trying to be really angry and barbecue the whole earth he's like no actually this was to put like the purpose of this was to give them a chance to repent right that's right. the whole goal here mm -hmm. is salvation and one other verse i'd point out in verse 16 and it's uh where is it oh um end of 17 after the seventh angel pours out the last three words it is done we'll see that show up again but this is not an everlasting torment it's not a eternal punishment it has a, a purpose and it has an end and eventually evil will be removed from the earth and we're going to get to see uh, a picture of that in just a second before we see that though let's jump in that's kind of a prelude okay there is a new character that we're introduced to in chapter 17 revelation 17 in verse 1 uh, a great whore that sitteth upon many waters um yeah <laughs> oh, we have a picture just kidding <laughs> Those of you listening on the it's podcast, yeah, yeah. Those of you on the podcast are like, dang. Switch to YouTube. I gotta, I gotta get over <laughs> and see this. Um, this description of this woman. I want to start off in verse one, just with the name of who she is, uh, the great whore. You're going to find in chapter 19 in just a in just a minute the marriage supper of the Lamb. And there's imagery throughout scripture, Old Testament in particular, where Christ is seen as the bridegroom and his church is seen as the lamb. I'm sorry, the bride. And there's the marriage between the two of them. There's faithfulness. Covenant faithfulness describes the kind of relationship that Jesus has toward the church and the church is invited to have toward him. A whore is the opposite of that. A whore is someone who's unfaithful, who's looking for her um, pleasures in all different areas. And so you see that metaphor used a lot throughout scripture to describe unfaithfulness. Like I'm unfaithful to my God. And so that's why, at least one of the reasons why she's depicted as that. It might not be, it might be obvious to say that probably one of the most unfaithful ways that people are is through sexual sin in the world. And so there's probably a reason that she's called that as well, but she's upon the many waters. And remember our earth is full of water. Most of, I don't know what the percentage is. I feel like I knew it in fifth grade and they I'm no longer, no longer smarter than a fifth grade. Fine. But you will not win the game. Yeah, show. You don't have to, um, email us about it we will look it up right after this episode <laughs> but there's a lot yeah there's a lot of water a lot. most of the earth is water so the intention of she's upon many waters every continent touches water and rivers flow through every country and it's it's the idea that she's everywhere she's in every part of this earth what she represents and what she does represent is just apostasy and worldliness and and power with, with the kings of the earth, she's committed fornication. She's in bed with all the leadership. All You find her in all the different areas, really similar to what we saw with the beast and Babylon. And they're all made drunk with what she has to offer. And when someone's drunk, they're not seeing clearly. They're just, they're making decisions. You can almost imagine somebody who's drunk saying the next day, oh my gosh, I was not... I was not thinking clearly. I did not have other people's feelings. I did not have my right perspective. I had, and, and she has the ability to do that, to seduce people with sin to the point where they will do things that later they'll look back and say, I was not in my right mind 
when I did that. So you just see this imagery and look at her. She's on this scarlet colored beast and it's full of names of blasphemy. It's seven heads and 10 horns of fullness and power. She's arrayed in purple and scarlet in verse four. She's decked with gold and precious stones and pearls. She has a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness. You get in this picture and you're just like, ooh, like she is just nasty, you know? Now remember, there's always that opposite. So in the, in the couple of chapters, we're going to see the bride and she's in comparison to this, the whore in here. And look, her name written on her forehead is mystery Babylon, the great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. <laughs> and you're kind of like, Ooh, that's a big old forehead or really small font. <laughs> we're not really sure. It's a five head, right? It's what she has. <laughs> it's just a big thing. But when she talks about the mother of abomination, it's just like, is she, this is the root of all evil. There are Benjamin, King Benjamin next year will tell us there's multiple ways that we can sin in our minds and our actions. And, and there's a root cause of all of it. And she's drunken with the blood of the saints and the blood of the martyrs in verse six. And at the end of verse six, it says, I wondered with great admiration. And the angel says, why are you marveling? Those are words that can be admiration. You know, we might have admiration for like Abraham Lincoln or something is honesty or whatever, you know, or great leaders or role models. But it's, it, this is a word of, I think everyone's experienced it where you'll see, hear a story, see the news and you're just like, oh my gosh, wow. I did not. Wow. You're just left like, like enticed in some circumstances, right? Yeah. Towards it. And then also just like, bewildered by like that is you have wow you know well and it's so interesting to me because when he actually sees her what happens is he gets carried away into the wilderness which i think is so interesting that it starts out and it says okay she is everywhere but he's gonna need to be looking at her from a safe place Mm -hmm. and i think that's such an interesting thought that there is a lot of evil everywhere and you like it is going to be very hard to avoid but are you standing somewhere safe you know that like from the very beginning of this he's like okay listen let me take you somewhere that i know you're going to be taken care of in and now let's go from there mm-hmm. because this is like this is bigger than you think it's going to be right i remember we this the, the whole theme of the book of revelation is this remember cosmic dualism this idea of the dragon and the lamb the bride uh, uh, let me put everyone in the right category <laughs> like i was like dragon <laughs> lamb good sides over here um the city of babylon the city of zion the harlot on the beast um the bride in the marriage supper and remember it just is this idea of make a decision um make a choice where are you going to stand and there is a promise that you will who shall who shall be able to stand was the question in chapter seven and there's a promise that's thick throughout the book that says first of all Make sure you're paying attention to what your heart is being drawn to. Is it being drawn to what you saw in chapter 15, the, you know, the new song of victory, or is it being drawn and pulled away to the excess and, and the pride and the, and the, just the, you know, raunchiness of, of sin and evil, which it can, your heart can be drawn either direction. And it's a, it's a, this is a question about where is it being drawn to? And, and he mentions a group of people in 14, he says, these shall make war with the lamb, but the lamb shall overcome them. This is Armageddon was last time. And maybe it's one giant battle, but at least it is a battle every day 
for the souls of men. And in 14, it says, who will overcome? And for he is Lord of Lord and King of Kings. And then, and they that are with him are called chosen and faithful. And we get a, another bit of counsel in how to overcome what seems, and I just like that it's really simple. What, this overwhelming all around the earth, all these kind of things. And P.S., I was thinking this this morning. Well, I'll, I'll remember when we get into this one. Even the last time I forgot about the Nauvoo thing, which people have DM'd me, and I should put that on our Instagram. Oh. <laughs> when I just said, I'll remember, I know someone's like, but you forgot. <laughs> but you forgot last week. It's I promise, I, promise I will remember what I was going to say. I'll say it right now, just in case. <laughs> it, I was thinking about this woman who's on the many waters all over the earth. And I just thought, oh, no wonder there is a need to send representatives of the Savior all over the world as well. And I just thought about my little group text I have with Jack and all his friends who are serving on the many waters. And, mm. their, and their, their call, is, we're going to see, is in chapter 18, the call that they have. But each of them have been called, and us too. Called is an in, invited word. Be a part of the cause of victory, Jesus says. Be a part of the cause of Zion. Chosen is a word that means accepted, but not God accepting us, although true, but us accepting the invitation. This is the definition for what it means to be chosen. I've accepted the the call. I've heard the call and I've heeded the call. This is not a favoritism word. This is a agency word. You're not getting picked last on the kickball team. Right. And then faithful, which means committed. And we wanted to emphasize that doesn't mean flawless. Committed to repentance. Committed to trying every day. Committed to be true and faithful as he is. A great cross-reference to this is going to be Doctrine and Covenants 121, 34 to 35. The explanation of many are called, but few are chosen. And then the, and why are they not chosen? is the question. Now go read and and you can learn a little bit more about that and you will see the harlot kind of show up there, the imagery of her in those verses. People being pulled. Why are they not chosen? Because they're drawn away in admiration of what she does. And there's something so important to me to realize that this, I don't think it's unintentional that this was mentioned, especially right now. I can't help but think, I think one of the biggest battles people face right now is who they are their identity mm. and realizing who do they want to be. And mm. like so much so that like I take every single personality test on the whole entire planet. Like I'm obsessed with them. And I'm right. like, well, I just like crave knowing who I am. And I love that he you calls it out. Seven. Hey, that's true. <laughs> and you're right. And the thing about it is you're right. Um, but I love that he's going to say, listen, let me remind you who you are right now. Because if you're going to be in this fight, like let me remind you, you are called and chosen and faithful. Mm -hmm. Don't forget your identity in this fight. Right. You know? Yeah. And I like that it's a, there's this verse, one of the verses in here that I want to show you, which is in verse 18. It says, and the woman which thou sawest is that great city. She is Babylon. She's a representation of it as well, which reigneth over the kings of the earth. And it's interesting because a king usually thinks they're in control. And we're learning in here that she's the one in control of you. Hmm. 
And we all give our allegiance and we give our heart to something. We saw this with the mark or the of the beast or the seal of the father in their forehead. And the question is, to whom are you giving your heart? To whom are you giving your um, allegiance? Everybody is ruled over by some sort of desire, some sort of king, some sort of you know power over them. And the question is, which one? Which one? Which one is it? Is it going to be? So the call in verse eighteen. What happened in 18 is uh, a really hopeful chapter. And in verse 4 is that call of all those boys I told you about. And the call to Zion, the call to the place of safety that you were saying, which is, come out of her, my people. There's an invitation to, you don't have to, it keeps going, be partakers of her sins and you don't have to receive her plagues. Isn't that interesting? That it felt like it was the plagues of God. And here we're learning one nuance about judgment, which is it's a natural consequence of the evil that we engage in. If I take my anger and I multiply it by a thousand, like it's going to create chaos. It's going to create destruction in my own life, my own like sinful nature is going to like implode on me. And he says, but you don't have to be a partaker of that sin. You don't have to receive of her plagues. Come out of that place. And what's interesting is it's not leave evil only, but it's come be a part of a good cause. It's not just go into a vacuum place of nothing, but it's come out of her and be a part of a good and better cause. And I think it's so powerful to realize that he's going to give you a course of action. I like one of my friends always reminds me of that, that like any like talk or lesson or all of these things, like it can be really good, but it's like not going to be helpful if there's not a call to action. Mm -hmm. If there's not something that you can actually do at the end of it, then what's the purpose of the whole thought? You know what I'm saying? And it's so cool to me that he says, listen, and especially even like when you see the world being a disaster, then you're like, oh my gosh, there's nothing. What am I even supposed to do right yeah, now? Yeah, just wait till Jesus comes. Just yeah, be done. Yeah, it's know? a disaster. And I love that he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Actually, there's something that you can do. Mm-hmm. You actually should do something here. Yeah. Let me tell you your call to action. And it's not just waited out. Now, we called this one one hour because of these two verses. Verse eight. Verse seven, it says, she will glorify herself and live deliciously. And as a... You know, for she saith in her heart, I sit as a queen, you know, and you're like, ooh. And she's just like, and it looks like that sometimes. Like, wow, it looks like the devil is winning. And then in verse eight, it says, and then one day it's over. In one day it's finished. And then it gets more specific in verse 10. Standing afar off for the fear of torment saying, alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city for in one hour is thy judgment come. it's going to be over that quickly. Like the judgment of that city will be done in one hour. And I think the beautiful part of that is it implies that God is inviting us to come out of her up to the very last hour. Like there will be an invitation a couple verses before that final hour. The, 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 you know, the destruction of evil and wickedness is that quick, but the invitation comes right up to the very end. And as Latter-day Saints, we, we even believe in another, another invitation after that. 
more, even more to come. I like these two choices. This might be something you want to do in your study as to what are the definitions of Babylon that you see? What are the messaging of Babylon? What are the, um, the results of Babylon? What's the purpose of Babylon? One that you might add into that is you can see in 12 and 13, the merchandise sold in Babylon, gold and silver and stones and pearls and linen and purple and silk and scarlet and wood and ivory and most precious wood and brass and iron and marble and cinnamon and odors and ointments. You see like the... That was... Yeah. I, I mean, I'm just reading. <laughs> it's like an overwhelmed feeling. It's like a feeling of like, whoa. But at the very end of that verse 13, it says, and souls of men. That's, that's actually what's for sale in the city of Babylon is the souls of of men. Let me capture them into um, materialism and excess and power and and sin. And that's that's what's for sale. Well, and I think it's even like what I was when I was reading it, what I noticed is it seems like the most valuable things to them were the things at the top. Hmm. Gold, silver, precious stones. And it was so interesting to me that that was the last one spoken because in my head I was like that obviously didn't mean a lot to them. Hmm. That it was just like great have our soul I couldn't care less yeah you know now, that's interesting because compare that to Zion and the messaging of Zion and you might want to go to Moses 7 18 through 19 where we learn a description and the purpose and the hope of Zion is that everyone could be of one heart and one mind to dwell in righteousness and this word righteousness one way you can define it is right relationship with each other you saw this in this unity but also with God it's just like a, things are right and things are good between us all there's nothing like hindering. There's no right. There's just something about like the um, the wholeness and the peace and the healing of relationships and no poor among them. This is the opposite of I don't care about the souls of men. This one says I'm going to make sure that there's no poverty in you spiritually, physically, socially, mental, whatever it is that we that the purposes of Zion are to take care of each other. And in Babylon, the souls of men are up for sale. Well, and it's so interesting because verse 17 in chapter 18 even says, for in one hour, so great riches is come to naught. Mm -hmm. That all, everything they spent their life building actually became worthless. And I love that in Zion, poor doesn't even exist. Mm -hmm. That it's not even a comparison. And there is that craving for me that I'm like, oh my goodness, if I'm in the valley of decision, if I'm choosing between those two things, how could my soul not want to choose the one that maybe there's some value in me? Mm -hmm. Maybe someone actually cares about me. Mm. Maybe my soul is worth something to someone, you right. know? Yeah. That God actually wants me. He's going to take care of my soul. Well, it's interesting that the work of Zion, the work that we're called to do to build Zion is to build up people. And to be that voice to someone that says, you are valuable. You are worth something. There is something different than what the beast and the harlot and Babylon are offering. There's a better way. You don't have to live in the plagues of selfishness and the plagues of greed and the plagues of self-doubt and the plagues of, you know, what up, fill in the blank. Everything else that Babylon has to offer. Zion has something much richer to offer. And, and I like the very end of that chapter 18 where it just says, and this, that sound of Babylon, the harpers and the musicians and the pipers and the trumpeters shall be heard no more at all. You will be dark, you will be gone, and nobody, that end of 21, 
the great city of Babylon will be thrown down and she'll be found no more at all. And all you have to do is spill in Babylon that word with something else that it represents and you understand and learn that abuse shall be thrown down and found no more at all. That greed will be, that lust will be thrown down and found no more at all. That, that the unfair of the world, the, the horrible of the world will be thrown down and found no more at all. We won't hear from you anymore. We won't, you won't get a say any longer. You don't get to tell us what we're worth. You don't get to tell us um, the lies that you've told. Like, you're just gone. It's gone. It's finished and over. And um, I think that's exciting to see. And then it leads into 19, which is once that all ends, um, here he comes. Jesus oh, comes. It's the so anticipation. Good. We've been in the 24th of December for long enough. And now <laughs> Christmas Day comes. It's the longest paper chain ever. Yeah. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> Your advent calendar never ended. And 19.1 starts. And after these things. Don't you love that phrase? Highlight that phrase. One day we'll say that. And after these things, after it's all said and done, after we've endured mortality and, and the plagues of it, you'll hear a great voice of much people in heaven. Highlight that too, please. <laughs> that is the description of heaven. Never put the word heaven without much people next to it saying, hallelujah. And then these five words, salvation, glory, honor, and power. Oh, and hallelujah, right in there. <laughs> I forgot about the fifth word. I'm like, oh no, unto the Lord our, our God. Um, for true and righteous are his judgments. Once the destruction of evil has happened, whatever that looks like, and however, however it goes down, the thought everybody will have afterwards, like, oh, you are true and you are righteous. And those judgments were good. Hallelujah. I'm so happy for them. That's what the, sometimes we have a thought, like a little scared idea. And there's a prophecy here that says, no, no, you will be so happy once all of those things are, are gone. And you will know that God has done it in grace and he's done it in truth and he's done it in, in righteousness. And he'll come. And, uh, and he, this time, um, he won't come on the donkey. You know, like when everybody was waving their palm branches, but he'll come on that white horse that we were hoping that he would become on. Starting in verse seven, look at this. Let us be glad and rejoice. The second coming of Jesus is compared to a marriage and it's compared to a wedding feast and a really good one. Not just one in a church gym with those Costco cream <laughs> oh, puffs, <no. laughs> but like a really, really good one where every gift of God is served on the table. Which and I think you cannot even... This part, I wish I could say this to every single person on earth. I love that his first impression wants to be the happiest day of your life. Yes. That's what a marriage is known for. Mm -hmm. It's like when you're at your wedding, it's supposed to be the happiest day of your life. And I love that he's like, okay, you want to know what the first day of heaven is going to be like? Imagine the very best day of your life. Yeah. That's what it's going to be. And I also think it says something that God's like, let's start with a party. Yes. You know? A celebration. If you want to learn something about God in Revelation, you could spend like 45 minutes just unpacking verse like... Five, because five is so cute when it says, listen, all you that fear him, both small and great. Oh. That he's like, you, no one is going to be excluded in this. Like you might not think you're good enough to come to the party, which is about to be even better once you keep going through the verse. But he's like, listen, 
you are mm-hmm. like you can be included in this and then all of a sudden it's like wait of course that should be something that you know about god is that he wants to have a party right. and he wants it to be the very best day that you could ever imagine right Right. It's a day that you look forward to. And gifts and dancing and singing and all the things and the chocolate fountain for heaven's sake. And it says in verse seven, let's be glad and rejoice in this part. And his wife hath made herself ready. She made herself ready. And when we talk about preparing for the coming of the Lord, it's the same as a preparing of a bride for her wedding, except for the bridezilla parts, every other part of that, which is it's it. You get ready, not in fear, but you get ready in great joy and anticipation. That is supposed to describe what it looks like to get ready for the second coming of Jesus. It's meant to be a wedding plan. And it's cute because that's not necessarily the easiest thing. No. But you're not sad that it's not like easy because you're so excited for the day. Right. You're like, I'll spend as much time as I possibly need to because I want it to be that good. Right. It's a thrill. Right. And if we're not thinking about that scripturally, we're off and we ought to be thinking about it a little bit differently. And I like this part. And to her was granted, mark that word granted. And you might want to put next to it gifted, or you might want to put next to that grace. It was to her was granted and gifted and graced her readiness, that fine linen dress, clean and white. It was given to her as a, a gift. She was called and then she accepted the call and was chosen and then chose to be faithful to it. But the call came from heaven. It was a heaven initiated you know, process of becoming. And I love that clean and white made clean through the blood. Yes. That's why it had to be granted to her because that actually was an act of grace. Yeah, that we see throughout. Now, verse nine calls it the marriage supper of the lamb. And there, I want you to click on the footnote for marriage supper and you, or, or the C in your footnotes. That's going to take you to Doctrine and Covenants 5811. I also want you to write in your margins, Luke, 5, Luke 14. And that's in a footnote too. Oh, is scripture. it? Which one? B. Uh, oh, supper? Under supper? <laughs> yeah, under supper. Oh, perfect. You're like, B. All right, good, good. Those two spots yeah. are fantastic in scripture to study a little bit more about the marriage supper and what that means. Just quickly in DNC 5811, yeah, listen to this so verse. And after that cometh the day of my power. Then shall the poor and the lame and the blind and the deaf come in unto the marriage of the Lamb and partake of the supper of the Lord, prepared for the great day to come. You find that out in Luke 14 also, that there are those who felt like they ought not be invited to it. The the invitation went to those who lacked. That's what you find in every single one of those is we are missing something and that's why the invitation went out. And, And then it's interesting in that parable of Luke 14, you start thinking to yourself, who, how did the blind person get there unless someone went and brought them? How did the deaf person hear about it unless someone went face to face? How did the lame person make it to the wedding unless somebody went and they picked him up and they carried him and they brought them there? There's so much to study and, and to learn about that marriage supper and, and the feelings you should have about it. And and the role that we play in getting ourselves ready and also bringing any and everybody 
to that place. Because Luke 14 is one of my favorite chapters of all time in the history of ever. And even there's a line that says, and compel them in the highways. Compel them. And I love that it didn't just say, oh, tell them, just invite them. No, actually, you're going to have to convince them that they belong at the party. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to remind them, no, actually, we want you here. You are invited. You are welcome. You can belong here. And I love that you see a shadow of that in like, even from the beginning in verse five, when it says both small and great, Mm -hmm. you actually, Mm -hmm. let me remind you, you belong at the party. Mm. That's so awesome. And then 11, there comes, oh, 10, I want to add to what you just said, verse 10, because we've quote this a lot, which is great that the testimony of Jesus at the end of 10 is the spirit of prophecy. And to prophesy in some sense is to speak something of a future event. And those who have a belief and a testimony in Jesus can prophesy because they can say to someone, I know he'll forgive you. That's a prophecy. I know there's hope in your end. That's a prophecy. I know healing will come. That's a prophecy. And that all comes because of that spirit of Jesus. Well, I know and my testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. I can promise people things. I can say to them with confidence what their future will look like in the arms, in the presence of Jesus. And I think that's when we go and compel people to come, we can go and we can call them out of Zion, out of Babylon and we can say there's something much better. And we're about to see it in chapters 20 through 22. But one other thing in this 19 that we think will be cool, and this is that study question in your journal, but this I think would be awesome to, to just really take some time on. In verse 12, well, he's given a name in 11, which is faithful and true. We also get a name of his in 13, the word of God, and his vesture is dipped in blood. And that's that's awesome um, because of the symbolism. Normally when someone's gone off to battle, they're dipped in the blood of their enemies. That's kind of the imagery. But in this case, it's his, it's his own. And there's something powerful there. But in 12, it says this, his eyes were as a flame of fire. Remember, we saw that in verse one. And on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but himself. And I think it's, there's something about the idea of he's got many crowns. And uh, his name was, uh, that, that line could almost be translated, um, uh, there wasn't just one name that he had because he was known by so many. And in one sense, you could read that and study that in, in a, he's coming to the whole world. And there are people in this world that call him by different names and they believe in a salvation and they call this God of deliverance, something very different. We call him Jesus of Nazareth. But there are others in this world, our brothers and sisters in this world who are waiting to salvation and they may call it by a different name. But even within our own, within just Christianity, we have many names for him. He wears many hats, some (laughs) may say, but a more fancy way to say that is he wears many crowns. And we remember we've had this picture throughout the year that we've had a name of Jesus on, on our posters. We've picked one from every single lesson and, uh, and we've talked about the different names and what that means and how we can see them and, and look for them. And there is a chance right here to just spend some time and ask yourself, what, which name would you call him? Um, is it, um, 
Well, let's just look at, at some of these. Oh, and let's talk about this. I know, because these are the cutest things that I don't even know how we got this. It's a, just a, a lesson from the ward. Oh, and so some ward just did this. And it's the cutest thing because they had, they printed out the picture of Jesus that we've been studying all year long. And they had all their kids go through. And they printed out the one that his names are already, already on, on it. Yeah. And you can get this in... Um, in the newsletter, it's still in there. Or go to domistthestudy.com and go to printables, or it's in the app. And so there's so many places you get this if you want to. If you want, I'm doing this. Out. I'm doing this in my class. Like I think it's the yeah. coolest idea and like the coolest bookend for for the year. The year. Like you want to do this? It's going to be so cute because what they did is all the kids just went through and they chose their favorite names and what they meant to them. And you can circle 18 if you want. And that's totally fine. Some just chose one. But it, like in my head, I'm like, that has to be the cutest end lesson of all time. Yeah. To just and go through. What I love most about it is, is this. When I, when somebody says to me, I'm, I don't think I'm ready for um, the second coming. I think to myself, right when they say it, one, I wonder what you mean by that. And second, I don't think you know who's coming. And there's more than 52 descriptions of him and more than 52 names. But even just looking at this, like what this boy chose here, when we say that Jesus is coming again, we're saying that hope is coming again. We're saying that peace is coming again. We're saying that the healer is coming again. The one who is so tender with the leper, that's who's coming back to the earth. The one who touched the eyes of a blind person, that's who's coming and went and found him after he got kicked out. That's who's coming back. The Jesus who is so tender and sweet with the woman in adultery in the temple, that's who's returning to the earth. And it's neat to think of the many crowns and, and who he is. And this paper is so darling because this person wrote Jehovah in parentheses. I added this one because that's one that wasn't on here that I refer to him as right now in my life. It's something I'm looking forward to. What? Is Jehovah coming. And this is a really great personal study or together as a class or just a discussion as a family. And you can use this so that people can see um, some of those names. Or if you have the posters, you might just lay them all out and just say, hey, everybody pick, one, cool. of, pick one of these posters. And then they'll have a verse on there and a description that if they wanted to share, they'll have something that they could share with. It'll be a, so a little cool. bit easier. Or in your journal, if you if you have in your journal a great day to go back, every name of Christ that we have written on these things. And and just to, you know, just to take that study, he who wears all those crowns and has all those names, who's coming back to the world. All right. Now, the best of the best, the creme de la creme, the happy happily ever after is revelation 20 through 22 is a description of the millennium and then the earth once it's been made all new and i we have in the worksheet this paper also oh, yeah. it looks like this 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 picture kind of comes from the description that we see in chapter 22 in just a second but um this is a chance one paper and you can just use a regular sheet of paper or something it's just funner on this all of the things that you have to look forward to and why you might be excited 
for Jesus to come. That's how the book's going to end. P.S. In just a second, John's going to say, please come quickly. And we're going to talk about what are all the reasons that we have that we want him to come quickly. And maybe let's just highlight a few in 20 through 22, and then we're going to let y'all just go to town on 20 to 22, but we'll share some of our favorites that are that are in there. Um, in 20, just real quick, I love this, in verse 2, the old serpent, the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, he will be bound a thousand years and cast into a bottomless pit and shut him up. <laughs> I know that means into, I know that means into the pit. But I just have also heard enough of his words about my worth and about my value and about the fact that, you know, you're game over, your three strikes, you're out. And it's like, it's time for you to shut up <laughs> and a seal set on him. And I just think that's something to look forward to in those thousand years. No more of that in the earth anymore. Hmm. And then you see in 21, a new heaven and a new earth. Everything is made new again. And there, this is a description of so much that's, that's good in here. The holy city, okay, wait, the but new Jerusalem. We can't, miss, we can't miss my favorite part of it. Say. It's in, it's in 20. Oh, back and, in 20. Yeah, oh. it's back in 20. So you have to go in reverse. And it's verse 12. And seriously, I want to, this is like maybe like a really niche verse that I'm obsessed with. But it says, and I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. There they are again. Small I know, it's so cute. <laughs> and then this is my favorite. And the books were opened. And this is like it, that image in my head makes me want to sob because I cannot wait to get to heaven one day and sit down with God and read my story with him. Mm -hmm. And there's a book that I love. I talked about it and I read a quote from it. Like, a, I don't who even remembers when. But one thing that he says is he's like, I can't wait to get to heaven and sit under a tree. And I can't wait to tell God the favorite parts of my story and hear his favorite parts of mine as well. Mm. And I, that is like, I want that day to happen tomorrow. Like I can't even begin to explain how much I want to sit down with the person that saw every single moment in my story that knows me better than anyone else on earth and look at every single page and him look at me and say, oh no, that's one of my favorite parts too. Oh, that's so sweet. You know, that you just can't wait for that day. I do love too, that plural of the books were opened. Um, and, and people will be judged, it says, out of those things that were written in the books, plural. Because there's more to my story than you know of. And there's more to my story than I even know of. And God, who's the author and the finisher of all of it, is going to, he's going to see the things that um, I had no control over. He's going to see my intentions. He's going to see uh, the traditions I inherited. He's going to just, he's going to know all of those things. And, and I just, that plural of the books open to, it's another, it's another nuance, what you're saying. It's kind of yeah. deviating from what you said. I like yours better, but I do, no. I do love that thought of like, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be overly and wildly merciful with you. They're not books to be scared of, they're stories to be thrilled to read with him. Right. Yeah. It's just so tender to me. He's like, oh. Let's um, sit down and read a story. This happened on um Inklings that your mom asked the question, What's your favorite story of Jesus? And everyone was writing, Oh, the leper, I love the blind person. And one person put in the comment, No. Mine. And all of the stories that she wrote were all the times that he showed up in, in, her, in her story. Is that so awesome? 
Isn't that so sweet? Yes, and who wants to do that for their lesson anyways? Right. What's your favorite story of Jesus? Wait, you guys, that would be the best lesson ever. This is what you should do for your lesson. First, you should do this <laughs> and have everyone write all of these. And then you should read that part and say, what is your story with Jesus? Yeah. Right. Oh, that is the cutest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. Holy, okay. But if you are not teaching, you can save that for the beginning of the Book of Mormon because I can already think of a good lesson where it would go in the so Book of Mormon. So pause. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fine, okay, I think because in that it's not going to be Sunday school. Of the yeah, it should be good. All right, look in 21. Oh, the old earth passed away. Like all those things from a fallen world are passed away. And now there is a new one. And just so many things. Verse four is a favorite. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. For somebody to wipe away tears from your eyes, you don't let a stranger wipe tears away from your eyes. That's There's a small list of people I would allow to do that. That's a very close and a very intimate and a very sweet scene. And, and it's a way of saying, there's no more need to cry anymore. You don't have to cry yourself to sleep over worry, over regret, over hurt, over pain. I'm going to make all those things right again. And don't you love a God who's going to personally wipe tears away and say, I'm here, I'm sorry these things happened and I'm going to make it better. He's not a God who throws a box of Kleenex at you, right? But he's like, I'm going to wipe those tears away um, myself and God himself shall be with them. Yes. And will be their God. That oh, whole that verse, verse, verse three. three. I, no, <laughs> but you can't miss verse three because that makes that verse more tender. Because the whole purpose of verse three is he's going to say, listen, he is actually the tabernacle of God is with men. He will dwell with them and they shall be his people. And he himself will be with them. And it's almost like he's like, if you want to know how close he's going to be, he is going to wipe away your tears. Yeah. It's not even going to be like he's like in the same neighborhood or like he's he like in the same them. state. It doesn't say he will visit them. No. He will live there. He will move. He is with in. them. He is within arm's reach. Mm. And even closer. Mm. So no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying. All those former things are passed away. Some of you, that is a verse you will hold on to with both hands <laughs> until that day comes and all things will be new verse six is our name of jesus for the week when he there it is again where he says it's it is done i am alpha and omega i'm i was in the beginning of the story i will be in the end of the story and i i will i wrote the story out in the garden of eden and i will finish it i will finish the work i set out to do you are my work you are my glory and i'm with you until the very end. That also is an all-inclusive name too. I am anything in between. I am and I will be and I can do. I am Alpha and Omega. That's the very last name of Jesus for this year. I hope you've loved those posters just on your wall. Just have a chance to see them and more good ones coming next year. Um, I oh, there's so I, we can't read every verse, everybody. <laughs> Let, um, one more thing about 21. I want to say one more thing about 21, and then we can go over to the other. When it starts talking about the foundations of the wall of the city in verse 19, it talks about all manner of precious stones, jasper and sapphire and 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 whatever that one is, and emerald and sardis and topaz and all of these different stones that are on the wall. I just, I've, I, I remember when my sister-in-law, I heard the story was getting in proposed to, 
my by my brother-in-law. He's German, and he was going to give her a ruby for her engagement ring. And she doesn't love rubies, but like in Germany, like it's kind of a precious stone there. It's sort of like, oh, but he really loved it. And it, I remember hearing that story and then reading this right after and just thinking about the fact that like, oh, everybody's different and everybody has different things that they're drawn to and they love and all different people will be welcomed oh. there and of every kind. And there will be something for, for everyone in that place. And I just loved that it was like, there's, it's not um, uniform there it's all of every color of every kind of every stone found in every kind of mountain and field and it will just, win everyone's heart it will win everyone over and the gates they're open it says um where is that line verse 25 the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day for there shall be no night and you shut the gates at night for protection you will not have to worry but also i just love that imagery of the doors are always open 24 hours a day there is, there's room and, and you're there. And then 22, holy moly, look at that river of water of life, clear as crystal, coming, proceeding from the lamb in the midst of the street. On either side of the river, there was the tree of life. See, you've come back into the Garden of Eden. You're back in it. And it bears 12 manner of fruits. That means every single month, it never runs out. The fruits are always there. They're always coming. And remember, we learned from Elder Bednar and the Book of Mormon next year that that tree of life is a symbol of Jesus. And the fruits he offers are the gifts of grace, the gifts of his atoning sacrifice. And they will renew every single month. No tree produces fruit every single month, but this one does, and it just doesn't run out. The gifts keep on coming. You see why, why the servants are going out to say, come out of Babylon. What are you doing? You're missing You are this. missing this you're missing what is being offered here and those leaves of the tree for the healing of the nations whatever curse you're under whatever hardship you've experienced however broken your heart is whatever disease you have physical spiritual mental or otherwise there's healing for all nations there shall be no more curse which in verse three you love that it's if there's fruit all 12 seasons, the leaves are staying on all 12 seasons. And I love that healing is connected with the leaves because then all of a sudden you start realizing he is never going to run out of healing. He will never get sick of it. He will never be bored of it. There will never not be enough healing for you. Yeah. Oh, you guys, this has been, and then look at it. This is the end of the entire New Testament, not just the end of the book of Revelation, even though. It wasn't written to be the end of the New Testament. It was written independently. <laughs> but it's a good planning right now. But just <laughs> right now. found, made its way to the end. And 17 says, And the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. And anyone who is a thirst, come. And whoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. Whoever you are, whoever you send this to, whoever you talk to, whoever you meet today, Tomorrow, next week, next month, the invitation is come. And the promise is the same. It's a promise of every gift of God, of every kind of healing, of forgiveness, of redemption, of restoration, of hope, of things made new. The former things of your life don't always have to stay that way. They can be made new. You and me can be made new. And, and that's the promise of this book. And so when Jesus says in verse 20, surely I come quickly, 
John responds back at the end of 20. Even so, come. Please come. We are, we are ready for you. I am a person who believes that he's already here among us. He has already come. He is Emmanuel. He is God among us. We can experience a degree of his healing and his grace and forgiveness and gifts right now, today, starting in this very moment. You can receive them, but the fullness of them come when he when he comes again. And when he says, I'm coming quickly, I want to say, you're lying. You're tricking because <laughs> you, <laughs> haven't come, waiting. you haven't come quick enough. But that line, even so come. These are th- what you filled out here were all the, all the reasons that you wanted him to come and you wanted him to come quickly. Y'all, y'all, you have a book to give someone if they ever say, I'm not ready for the second coming. I'm like, oh, you, then you've forgotten, who's, you've forgotten who's coming. That baby we just celebrated at Christmas time. I don't know when you watch this. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> or we're about to. All the way through his whole ministry and life. And every story he's been involved in since then. For the past 2,000 years up until this afternoon. He's still involved in people's stories. That's, that's, who's, that's who's coming to the earth. And it ends in 21. In the meantime... We write that in your margin. <laughs> in the meantime, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all is how he ends. Until that day, may his grace accompany you um, in, and uh, bless you and, and change you and, and lift you up and carry you through is, is his hope and it's our hope. Um, in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Mm. He ended on amen. (laughs) And then it says the end, the very end, which is also not true because we have the Book of Mormon next week. (laughs) (laughs) Do a dot, dot, dot at the end of the end. cross out the end because he is not finished yet, y'all. We got got more good to come. This has been the greatest book. It's been the craziest year. <laughs> so true. Um, full of surprises and also... <laughs> so true. You know, Think about this whole year know, for real. New thrills and fun. And uh, anyways, we're super excited to jump in the Book of Mormon with y'all. Um, when you end the New Testament, you say to yourself... I don't know why I'm so teary about all this. It's so sad. It's like when <laughs> you finish sad. your it's favorite happy. show. Yeah. It's like, I'm not, wait. I'm not really sad. I'm just like, you know, it's like... You end the New Testament, and I met John, who wrote the book of Revelation, wrote at the very, very end of the book of John. You know, he's like, the stories of Jesus could fill the world, and you're like, give then please give me one more. I would like one mm. more story of Jesus. And as Latter Day Saints, we are gifted with another witness, another testament, more stories of what he's done and what he's capable of, more stories to encourage us and give us hope and help us draw nearer to him. And that's what we get to start with. Um, next week or in two weeks because you might take a week off for Christmas. We don't know. So until then, we will, uh, well, we'll see you next week or whenever. (laughs) Ciao. This audio was taken from a YouTube video from our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube at Don't Miss This. Also, sign up for our newsletter at don'tmissthisstudy.com and you can follow us on Instagram at Emily Bell Freeman and at Mr. Dave Butler. Thanks for listening. Bye.